Hello, this is Joshua Mack from uh, Cornerstone Bible Church, and we're talking about marriage. And we've been uh, talking about marriage for a uh, long time now. And uh, part of the reason for that is because there are very few things in life that get better without effort. So if you are making the effort to listen to these podcasts, that's good. Because marriage definitely requires work. You might picture it a little like a garden. I often uh, tell people uh, who I'm talking to about marriage that there's uh, more than one way to ruin a garden. You can actively ruin a garden. Obviously, you can get out a shovel and an axe and run around slashing at things. Or there's an easier way to ruin a garden. And uh, that's just by not doing anything. A good garden is a result of a lot of work. I've been to some beautiful gardens, and while those gardens were different in many ways, in one way they were uh, all the same, and that is that they they didn't just happen. Uh, Good gardens don't just happen. Even the ones that look wild required some effort. They take time. If you want to have a good garden, it will take some time. And the same is true with a good marriage. It requires uh, discipline. I'm going to have a a good garden. It will require effort, self-denial, focused attention, determination, perseverance. And the same is true with a good marriage. It requires sacrifice. If I'm going to have a good garden, it's going to involve some pain. I'm going to have to be out in the sun. I'm going to have to bend over. (laughs) That gets harder the older you get. We have to stoop. And uh, the same is true with a good marriage. It's going to require dealing with problems. If I want a good garden, I'm going to have to pull weeds, so many weeds. I'm going to have to deal with insects, uh, potato bugs, and all of those kinds of things, and uh, diseases that plants get. And the same is true with a good marriage. It's going to require proactive care. If I'm going to have a, a good garden, it's going to take fertilizing, watering, Cultivation, And the same is true with a good marriage. It's going to require perseverance. If I want to have a, a good garden, I'm going to have to be alert. I may have to study, especially somebody like me who hasn't done much gardening, watch some serious YouTube videos. I'm going to have to learn about plants. And uh, a good marriage takes perseverance for sure. Uh, watchfulness, alertness, maybe even some studying. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 23 puts it like this. In all toil, there is profit, but mere talk only tends to poverty. And that's true pretty much in every area of life. But nowhere is it more true than in the area of marriage for a couple of different reasons. First, when two people get married, they're usually new at it. Definitely, they're new at it with each other. They've never had to do exactly this before. And so there are a lot of skills that they're going to have to get better at. And the only way to get better at them is through practice. Getting married, one man writes, as good as it may be for those who choose it, is nonetheless a crisis in the lives of newlyweds because it requires radical changes in their habits and behavior, in their assessments of their world and themselves, in their priorities and in their responsibilities. In other words, there's a lot of changes happening and there's a lot to learn and that includes uh, learning about each other because not only are they new at marriage whether they really realize it or not they're they're kind of new to each other uh, they they know each other but they don't really know each other 
As another author explains, uh, marriage immediately forces changes upon the partners, which no matter how well prepared they thought they were, surprise them and require a new and specialized labor from both of them. This is the fact. The woman does not know who her husband is until he is her husband, nor the man his wife until she exists as his wife. Before the marriage, these people were fiancés, not spouses. Fiancés and spouses are different creatures, and the second creature does not appear until the first has passed away. Did the courtship last many, many years? It doesn't matter. Were they friends long before they initiated courtship? It doesn't matter. They still can't know the spouse until he or she is a spouse, and there isn't any spouse until there is a marriage, which is one reason why there's a need for effort. This is something new. Another reason there's a need for effort is because when you get married, you're having to learn to live with someone who is very different. Obviously, uh, husbands and wives are, are different, and they're different in a number of ways. Their family backgrounds are different. Some come from authoritarian families. Others more uh, democratic, I suppose. Others just sort of, hey, uh, live and let live. There are physical differences. And, uh, of course, the world doesn't want to acknowledge that. But there are differences in the way men and women typically work. Uh, they're going to have different tendencies. They're going to have different personalities, Often, uh, it's, it's kind of funny, they're attracted to each other because they're different. Maybe you look at your relationship and you can see that. But often, after a while, those differences, the, the very things that attracted you to the other person can become challenging. You have different perspectives. Uh, you have uh, different expectations and desires. You, you can even see this among people who are not married. One person will think friendship means that you get together all the time and the other's like, hey man, we're, we're friends. And uh, that doesn't mean that we have to get together all the time. I'm your friend even if I don't see you, uh, you know, uh, but once a year. You have uh, different gifts and abilities. Uh, something might be easy for one person and hard for the other. And it's amazing how hard it can be to understand when something is uh, difficult for someone else when it's easy for you. Marriage requires work because you're living with someone who is very different and because you're both selfish sinners. My uh, wife and I often say there is hard and then there is hard. So uh, going to hell is hard. <laughs> very hard. It's not even the right word, of course. But having to put your wash in the laundry basket is not hard. But you know what? It can feel incredibly hard because we're so selfish. And because we're so selfish, a lot of what should be really pretty easy in marriage requires an enormous amount of effort because it requires death to self. Which is why uh, we have to remember the permanence of the marriage relationship. And this is part of what makes marriage beautiful, and this is part of what can make marriage hard. Because what usually happens uh, is uh, we enter into relationships and they're enjoyable for a while until we get to know each other better. And then we discover that to continue, you know what, we're going to have to die to self to be able to maintain that relationship. And so uh, then we kind of look for a way... Uh, out or 
a way to not spend so much time with the other person because it's going to be work and we don't like work or at least we don't like to have to work when it comes to relationships. And yet while that's more comfortable for us, it's not usually as spiritually good for us. And so because God loves us and wants us to grow, he's designed marriage to be this permanent relationship that we can't run away from and that we have to work at if we're going to actually enjoy it. It's like, uh, you know what? I'm either going to have to change or or really, really suffer here. And uh, we don't like that, but that is uh, actually good for us because it gives us hope that we might become someone different. And uh, because it's going to require that kind of work, it's important for us to remember the permanence of the marriage relationship. Really, uh, you're going to want to look at your marriage as if you were on uh, the 10th floor of a building with your spouse from which there are uh, no exits. And if you're having uh, trouble, (laughs) when you think about your marriage, you're on the 10th floor of a building when there are no exits and uh, fire breaks out. And so there are only going to be two choices, either burn or put out the fire. Or somebody else has said you should look at your marriage as if you were on a small island with your spouse where no planes ever come, where there are no boats and no materials to build a boat. This island is like thousands of miles away from any landmass, so you can't get off by uh, swimming. (laughs) And the island is uh, so small you can't avoid the other person. So your choice is either continue to be miserable, suicide or homicide, or uh, learn to resolve the differences and the difficulties. And, uh, you know, this may be actually where we need to uh, just stop and remember on a, a regular basis the vows that we made to each other when we got married and, more importantly, to God. Because, I mean, what were the vows you made to your, your spouse? They weren't just, I love you today, but I might not tomorrow. Or, uh, I, I promise to love you if you do what I like. No, you were making a commitment uh, to sacrificial love and faithfulness when things are good, when things are bad, forever. Until death shall us part. Jay Adams used to talk about how Uh, couples would come to him for counseling and they would say, uh, you know what, we just don't feel like we love each other anymore. And they would come to him and they would say that and they would think that uh, that would kind of be the end of the conversation and it would uh, mean the counselor was just going to have to agree with them. Yeah, well, you don't love each other anymore, so uh, you should get a divorce. And uh, Jay Adams would respond, what? You don't feel like you love each other more anymore? then I guess that means we need to get to work. I love that. One counselor puts it like this. Your marriage is like a good retirement plan. As long as you keep the deposits flowing, the account grows. The marriage develops like compound interest over time. Small investments of love and nurture reap great dividends in relational happiness. No one in their right mind would squander a solid investment account that's been growing years 
to take up a shaky speculative venture. It doesn't make sense. If the grass is greener on the other side of the fence, you should try watering your own. There is no easy road to authentic relationships. It takes hard work. If you feel the pleasure has gone out of your marriage or the romance or the marriage not, is not meeting your basic need for encouragement and love, then you have to work at it. There's no other way. The only action that makes sense is to dig in and recommit yourself to your present marriage. I, I love a, a letter a, a man wrote to his wife which describes the kind of commitment to marriage and to work that we need if we're going to enjoy God's kind of marriage. You know it could happen to us, you said to me, sitting in your favorite chair as we sip coffee, digesting the news of the latest couple splitting up. No matter how great we think we have it, if all those people can break up, it could happen to us. We're humans like them. It's possible. I did not answer for a while. We were both incredulous at the news. Men and women of maturity, decades-long marriages, so many have exploded one after another. Almost every week, another set of names. Not him, not her. They're too sensible, too solid. You're right, I finally admit. We've never joked about divorce, never brought it up as an option. We declared total commitment to each other and must reaffirm that always. But maybe realizing that it could happen to us helps us make sure it will not. How terrible to think of an argument someday when one of us feels the need for the ultimate weapon. Well, obviously there's no sense staying together. We're just hurting each other, just keeping each other trapped. Those are words mouthed in kitchens and bedrooms of even supposedly mature Christian homes. What do we mean by commitment? How do we keep our love alive? How do we make love grow from early blossoms to summer fruit? Remember how our love began? Years ago, I offered you my arm that September night we first went out. You reached for it as we leaped a puddle together. Then you walked just close enough to show you liked it. I glimpsed your face under the streetlight, excitement splashing gently on it. No commitment, just beginnings. My arm pulled you that January Eve tight beside me in that car. Midnight, time to leave. Good enough wasn't enough. And so we hugged. And I told you, I love you. The words exploded around us. They meant far more than you're nice. They meant commitment. Your words came back to me in firm, sure sounds. I love you too. Yes, I I chose you. Out of all the lovely girls I knew, I chose you. How marvelous are the ladies of planet Earth, he says, this author here. And then he says, but I chose you. Decisively, permanently. Is that self-entrapment? Was a commitment made in youth to bind me a lifetime? Ah, but it was as strong as birth, a fresh creation, soon to be a new flesh, you and I as one. We chose each other. You to shape me and I you. Then the wedding, flying rice and honeymoon, days and nights together, two persons as unlike as birch and cypress has chosen each other. The heavens laughed and the sands of earth lay ready for the tender feet of our newborn self. Does time change all that? Were we naive? Now, after we've loved, argued, laughed, given birth, what does it mean when I hold you and say I love you? Without the young love ecstasy, is it just mere words? I love you. My temples don't pulse as I say it, yet the words carry more fact than ever they did in courtship. They embrace a million moments shared, standing together atop, absorb the blue-white-green beauty, or angrily expounding to each other in the kitchen about our particular stupidities, then sharing a kiss ten hours later. Bonding moments holding us together. How easily these bonds could 
be tyrannical. You always forget, you never think, and bitter moments bite into their flesh with binding ropes that tie them to the time and place instead of to each other. Yet bonds can be a thousand multicolored strands of sorrow, joy, embarrassment, of anger, laughter shared as we watch God maturing us, as we gently tell each other of our joys, our fears, and our dreams. Rope is rope. Experiences are much the same. Crabby days, laughing days, boring days. We'll go through them in love by commitment to each other, sharing, forgiving, not blaming, not hurting. Yet when we do hurt, we ask forgiveness so the ropes will bind us together. For if they don't, they'll wrap around our throats so that each struggle will tighten the noose and we'll have to reach for the knife to cut the bonds. I love you. Sounds trite, but not if it's remembering the thousands of strands of loving each other when we don't feel loving, of holding each other, of getting up in the morning thousands of times together and remembering what we created the day we first said, I love you, something permanent and growing and alive. And, you know, uh, I think that author basically got it right. Being committed is more than temporary warm feelings. Being committed means embracing all kinds of days, good, bad, and even difficult, and being willing to work at the marriage day after day. To be willing to work at becoming who you are. One. To work at doing what you committed to. Loving each other when it is easy and loving each other when it is hard. Marriage is something that God designed to be absolutely beautiful and wonderful. But it isn't easy. And so if you're going to have the kind of marriage that lasts and is good for you and honoring to God, you're going to need to be willing to work. Are you working at your marriage? And the next time you complain about marriage being difficult, ask yourself, what really uh, did I expect? Almost anything good takes effort. And uh, certainly that's true of marriage.